0: help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. We Are Messengers song Love sings about the faithful love of God, even in the midst of loneliness. Of course, the love of God is on display throughout scripture, but there's something interesting I think he wants us to know in the section of scripture I landed in this week. For some of you, it may come naturally, but for me, the truth of scripture personally challenged me this week. So let's get right to it. But first, let's listen. Don't hang your head when you get lonely. No, I'll never leave your side. the beat of the song. I've been needing a little pep in my playlist, if you know what I mean. And when we are messengers sings of God's love down in our soul, I thought of what John teaches us in 1 John. So 1 John four sixteen says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now the very first thing I did was to i got inspired by this verse in first john chapter 4 and so i read the entire letter from john Uh, this follows two of my bites Uh, the first one the first bite bite by the way is just short for bible interaction tool exercises and the first bite that this follows by reading the whole book is my favorite reading in context. And what better way to get the context of a letter than to read the entire thing. And the other bite is to read and keep on reading. I think sometimes we read verse by verse, verse at a time. So reading larger chunks of scripture is going to be a really important habit for you. And when you do this, and then you zero in on smaller sections, or verses, It helps ensure that you don't misinterpret something because you now have a greater understanding of what the author was intending on the whole. All right. So one of the very first things that may jump out at you with this letter is that it doesn't have the traditional this letter is from so-and-so and and written to so-and-so. And that's when I followed the next bite which is to read an introduction to the letter. Now, if you have a study Bible, the introduction will be at the beginning of each book of the Bible. And perhaps you've had a study Bible like I had for years and just never really knew how to use the resources that were in it. Um, and so pull that pull that thing out and, you, and read that introduction. But I was actually putting together my thoughts for the podcast on the road. And so I didn't have all of my study Bible resources with me. And lucky for all of us, many of those resources are available online for free. So I hopped over to blueletterbible.org. You may have your own personal favorite, and that's great. Um, but I just went for, for this episode, I went to blueletterbible.org. I clicked on the word study, and then I chose introductions to the Bible under the heading Bible reference, on the, under the Bible reference section. And then I scrolled down to 1 John, and you will see several options to explore there. So in the introductions, there were, I think, two or three options for you to explore. We read things like this. This general letter to congregations across Asia Minor, now Turkey, was probably written by the Apostle John in the late first century AD. Okay. Uh, The epistle does not identify the author. We figured that out when we read it for ourselves. But the strong, consistent, and earliest testimony of the church ascribes it to John, the disciple and apostle. All right. So, and in the background setting, uh, background and setting section of the introduction, this is also what we learn. Although he was greatly advanced in age when he penned this epistle, John was still actively ministering to churches. He was the sole remaining apostolic survivor who had intimate eyewitness association with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, death, resurrection and ascension. So that's important, right? So now you're beginning to understand who the author is and when he talks to you and writes things down, you go, "Okay, well, this guy has um, a sense of authority and he's writing in his later years. Uh, It goes on to say, as the last remaining apostle, John's testimony was highly authoritative among the churches. Well, that makes sense. As I just mentioned, it's highly authoritative for us as well. Many eagerly sought to hear the one who had first experience with the Lord Jesus. And of course, it's part of the canon. It's part of our Holy Scripture. And so we know that it is God-breathed and it was preserved and all that, all that. But um, it goes on to say that John uses repetition of basic truths as a means to accentuate their importance and to help his readers understand and remember them. We're going to see this repetition even in the section of Scripture that we're going to be studying today. Uh, The interpreter is also challenged by the rigidity of John's theology. And this, this is very interesting. It says John presents the basics or fundamentals of the Christian life in absolute, not relative terms. Unlike Paul, who presented exceptions and dealt so often with the believers' failures to meet the divine standard, John does not deal with the what-if-I-fail issues. The issues do not center, as much as of Paul's writing does, in maintaining temporal or daily fellowship with God, but the application of basic tests in one's life to confirm that salvation has truly occurred. Such absolute distinctions were also characteristic of John's gospel. Now, we're, he's not saying that we do these things and therefore earn salvation. But you will see even in a section of writing that we're going to be studying that there is a test there is a basic test in life to confirm that salvation has truly occurred, and John does not pull any punches in his letter. And so this is not a young guy that's writing this. This is an old guy who has lived a long life. He saw Jesus, and he's he's like over it, right? He's not going to be pulling any punches. He's not going to be writing in the, the um, warm and fuzzy. He's just going to get right to it. Now, all of this makes more sense to me as I'm recapping for you, because I've actually spent time reading 1 John in its entirety. So... If you want, go ahead and read 1 John, go back and listen, or go read those introductions for yourself, and all of that will make a lot more sense to you. Um, I I think it's helpful even heading into studying the smaller section, but I used the bite of repetition, and I read it over and over again. I actually read 1 John over and over again throughout the week. I slipped in the bite of reading in a variety of translations as well, and then when I slipped in that introduction after doing that a few times... I continued with my interaction with God's word because I really was a little taken aback by the rigidity that I saw in the text. And so then when I read that, um, understood it a little bit more after reading the introduction and understanding that John was writing of basic tests in in one's life to confirm that salvation has truly occurred. When you realize these details about his style and approach, then it makes it understanding and ultimately applying the text to your own life easier. So I hope that that really helps you as well. Now our focus text will begin in 1 John chapter 4. The heading in my ESV Bible is God is love. But as you'll see, we will be challenged in our receipt and understanding of God's love by how we live our lives. So let's jump into the scripture now. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, well, did you see it? Did you see that in a section titled God's Love... We see this call to love one another lead out, right? So the section title is God is love. And the very first sentence is beloved, let us love one another. (laughs) So our love for one another is evidence that we've been born again. And that's what John is, is teaching here. So remember, this is one of our basic tests, not because we love, we are born again, but we should love because we've been born again. All right, so right after leading out with a description of the life test of whether or not we love each other, we see how God's love was made manifest, which just means it was displayed or revealed. God's love was revealed to us by sending his only son into the world that we might live through him. That's what the scripture says. And then John says it again a little different way. He says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And we have proof in the life of his son sent to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if you don't know what perpetuation is, it's okay. Use the bite of completing a word study to discover what it means and specifically what it means in the context of the verses we're studying. Now, sometimes I don't even have to do a like go back to the Greek word study. I can just look up a word in the dictionary. It's okay if you don't know what a word means. And I I encourage you, like my mama always did, go ahead and look it up. But my favorite resource to do word studies is Bible Hub. Com. I would say mostly because I've used it for that for so often. I know how to access it easily and I'm familiar with the formatting. There are other resources um, that offer word study um, as well. But when I look up a verse in BibleHub.com, I can click on the, the INT or the interlinear if I'm on my iPad or iPhone or on the desktop. And then, I, or, and then I can click on the word I'm wanting to study. In this case, it's the Greek word helasmos, which is translated, which I probably have completely mispronounced it, but just go with me. It's translated, it's translated Propitiation. easy for me to say, and it can be translated an atoning sacrifice, which is how it's translated in other versions which is another reason why I read in multiple translations because you wouldn't even have to do a word study per se just by looking at a variety of translations. But since I already looked it up in the Greek, I can see additional information in the word study section. It is an offering. So a propitiation is an offering to appease or satisfy an angry, offended party. It's only used twice in the Bible, both times in this letter, Both times referring to Christ's atoning blood that appeases God's wrath on all confessed sin. Or in other words, by the sacrifice of himself, Jesus Christ provided the ultimate halasmos or propitiation. Now, I know we don't like to think of our sin as angering God. But as we can see, his love is so great. That he is willing to provide the sacrifice necessary to appease himself, thus staying true to his holiness and yet providing a way for us to have the righteousness necessary to stand before and have relationship with a holy God. And John links his lead off statement with these examples of God's great love with this. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now one of the most effective bites I use is to consider the opposite. So as I consider how we ought to love one another, I think of 1 Corinthians 13, where we read these characteristics of love. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, is, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But when I contrast this with how I act in relationship to others, I am often impatient, unkind. I envy or I boast. I'm sometimes arrogant and rude. I insist on my own way. I get irritable and resentful. I rejoice at the wrong things. I'm unwilling to bear anything I deem as unbearable. And I'm sometimes quick to believe the worst and I don't show the persistence to endure. But you see, Christ's sacrifice paid for all of that in me. And now he's saying, I died so that all of your worst would not be counted against you. And yet you keep record of wrongs with your brother. And John is saying, there's something wrong, really wrong with that picture. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are loved to be loving. It should change us and it should be evident. And then John goes into a discussion about abiding. Now, here's how his argument seems to go. John says, we know we abide in him because we have the spirit. We know we abide in God because we confess that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. Through this abiding, we have come to know the love that God has for us. Through this abiding, we have come to believe the love that God has for us. If we say we abide in God, then we must be abiding in love because God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And back to the beginning statement in the argument, God abides in him. And we know we're in him because the Spirit is in us. (laughs) Okay? All right. So this abiding carries with it a sense of remaining in an unbroken relationship with God. So our unbroken relationship with God is inextricably linked to our ability to love each other. How do I know this? Because I keep reading. It says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So all of this abiding in God perfects his love in us. I did a quick word study search on the word perfected. It is the Greek word telioo and it means to consummate, working through the entire process, all the stages to reach a final st- the final phase. The root tel means reaching the aim. I love this. It's well illustrated with the old pirate's telescope unfolding and extending out one stage at a time to function at full strength. And effectiveness. So, how is our love perfected? By abiding in an unbroken relationship with God, who is love. And then there's this whole discussion about fear and love. And this discussion is almost always taken out of context. And while it is true, there is no fear and love in and out of this context, it is directly in the middle of this discussion about loving our brothers and sisters. Why would that be? Well, I can think of a few practical reasons. Loving others makes us vulnerable. Love like God has for us is not fair. It is lavish and unreasonable in our human way of thinking. But scripture teaches, as we just read, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Remember the punishment we deserve, but instead received propitiation. And that's why it makes perfect sense to have this statement right here. We love because he first loved us. We can love our brothers and sisters without fear because our loving God first loved us. We didn't have to meet any sort of standard. We didn't have to get it right. In fact, we couldn't get it right. He loved us and is perfecting us through abiding in us and us in him. And this love without fear is in direct relationship to our love of our brothers and sisters. You can't ignore that it's tucked right here before these final statements of the chapter. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as you can see, God's love and our love for God is inextricably linked to our love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, And even when they don't look like us and act like us and have the same cultural practices as we do or vote the same way as we do, believe the same theological nuances as we do. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, it started out by saying that the truth of Scripture personally challenged me this week, and here is where it challenged me. I already alluded to it, but I don't think not hating my brothers and sisters in Christ is the same thing as loving them. My love for others should be active and intentional. It should reflect the characteristics of love that I read from in 1 Corinthians. And while I have a long way to go, I do have hope in our Greek word for perfected, that telioo, there are stages and I will continue to get extended toward perfection and effectiveness as I abide in the Lord. So what's next? Well, let the truth of God's word challenge you this week as you study the link between God's love for us and our love for others. Read first John all the way through, get your overall bearings through a good introduction, and then dig into the focus area of first John chapter four, verses seven through through 21. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, Michelle at MichelleNizat.com Hop on Twitter at MichelleNizat or Instagram at MichelleNizat or on Facebook Michelle L. MichelleLNizat and let's talk about what you're learning. Now if you haven't joined the 30 Day Music Challenge yet, I highly recommend it. The challenge is to listen exclusively to Christian music for 30 days. You are never too late to jump in. Just submit your name and email address at MichelleNizat.com forward slash 30 Day Challenge and you're in. Now before before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Roberta from Idaho and Carrie from Texas. Welcome. And then, new subscribers to my website benefit from a one page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a really great place to start. I hope it's a valuable resource to you. You will also get an email that I send once a week. It will have a memory verse resource that you can put on your phone or print out. You get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the resources resources I create for my episodes. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Uh, it really does encourage me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. And of course, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at com, through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using The Blessing by Elevation Worship, Carrie Job and Cody Carnes to lead us to scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michelleknizat.com forward slash 329. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.